0: Welcome to episode 51 of the Series About Security podcast for August 7th, 2013. Brought to you by the Center for Education and Research and in Information Assurance and Security, or serious at Purdue University. I'm Preston Wiley, and I'm joined by Mike Hill and No Keith again this week. So, uh, I have the first article today, and uh, it's related to Tor. And uh, basically, um, there was news that the uh, that this uh, hosting company called Freedom Hosting uh, was basically shut down, um, and the uh, the person who ran it was arrested uh, in Ireland via U.S. extradition request. And uh, basically, um, anybody not familiar with Tor or Freedom Hosting, uh, Tor allows you to create these hidden Hidden websites, essentially, that are only accessible through Tor. And the reason you want to do this is essentially to hide the location of your uh, of your website, essentially. So, um, so basically, after this, uh, after the arrest of this person, all the all the websites on Freedom Hosting were were. Allegedly shut down. Whenever you attempted to go to them, you get this this error page that said uh, that said this site's down due to maintenance. Um, but uh, some some person checked on that actual URL, and hidden within it was a piece of JavaScript code that uh, that was essentially distributed to a bunch of hackers or security researchers, whatever you want to call them, which they ended up dissecting and uh, discovered that it was actually a, a uh, some. it took advantage of a uh, vulnerability within Firefox 17 uh, and uh, the purpose of the code was to run a Windows executable file and uh, and send the uh, host name and uh, some other information to a server in, uh, I think, Virginia, Virginia. Yeah. so um, a lot of people are guessing that the FBI is responsible for this piece of JavaScript code. The, the, the thing that's the most interesting about this particular piece of malware is all it does is essentially send your information to a central server. I mean, it could have is old malware it could have done other malicious things to your computer, but all it chose to do was send your, essentially, your MAC address and your host name, and I guess IP address, to a server in Virginia. And, um, and so people are suspecting that the FBI uh, is responsible for this. Um, now, uh, Freedom Hosting has a bad reputation I mean, they 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 were known to ho- to host a bunch of criminal things, you know. But they also hosted some legitimate things, like uh, like human rights uh, sites and and things like that 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 were maybe in local, from people in countries that they they would not have been treated well if they would have, you know hosted the sites within their own country or something like that. So, so this affected more than just the criminal element. This affected other sites as well and, and the malware I think was installed on pretty much every freedom hosting site out there and this information was sent to some mystery uh, group or organization somewhere in Virginia. So, so I thought this was, and Keith actually is the one that recommended this article. So, uh, uh, but I saw this as well and thought about talking about it. So, I thought it was interesting. I, I thought it was worth talking about because, um, especially in, in, in the climate we're in now with the NSA uh, information, and, and there's been some other, some other information about the the DEA doing some stuff that they probably shouldn't have been doing and, and, and things like that as well, which we're, we're not going to talk about today. Yeah. But you can search for it and find some information on the DEA doing some some potentially questionable things as well. Yeah, well, it, it really seemed to be a very targeted piece
1: of, of malware. Um, like you said, it could have done a lot more. It didn't have to do a whole lot, but it did reveal IP addresses to us. Location in Virginia, and who knows what group is behind that? Um, you know, whether coincidence or not, they you know targeted Firefox 17, which is uh, apparently the most popular version for the Tor browser bundle as well. So, it seems like this may have been their intention was just to hit this Tor traffic um, in, in the Freedom hosting sites. And unfortunately, I think this is the this is the ugly side of it. You know, when, when you have a service like Tor that can, you know, hide your identity. Um, there are people that want to use it for good, as you said. You know, uh, human rights. You know, they want to protect their identity. Um, you know, in some countries, they can hide the information they're trying to get. You know, so they won't be, you know, punished for that. But on the, you know, on, on the other hand it can be used for very bad things. Um, You know things like child pornography and things of that nature which we don't want and we want those things to be shut down. So um, this is very interesting because you know it's a tool that can be used for good and for evil and you know I for one would like to see the the malicious, you know, the, the sites that are doing evil things kind of shut down, and yeah, and went offline. And but that's true for, sites doing good things. That's as true well. for most
0: security tools. They yeah. can be used for good things, and or, they can be used for bad things. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, you
1: know, um, what, what I would hope is that the information being collected, and I don't know, it, it seems like, as you said, it was distributed to all the sites on the Freedom Hosting, even the sites that. Uh, at least claim to be doing good things and, and most likely were. Um, it seems like whoever collected that information would be able to make an assessment. If it is the government that's collecting that and the the site, you know the URL that was being visited, they could say, okay, this was not somebody necessarily wanting to do bad things or you know do something illegal. Um, but but who knows? And, and you know, I doubt they're gonna actually, make it any comment on it, that they were the ones, you know, if it was our government behind it collecting it. And I don't know who else would just collect that type of information without actually distributing, you know, malware in the process and
0: taking over the machines and, and doing much more malicious stuff. So, right. And, and and the other thing to note is that the problem is fixed. If you if you the Firefox fixed the the, the vulnerability within uh, Firefox 17 and the Tor. Uh, browser bundle uh, was updated uh, to to fix that and there was and it was JavaScript code and uh, you could disable JavaScript from running within the Tor uh, browser but it was I think it was enabled by default. There, they, they include no script with uh, with the Tor browser bundle but it was turned essentially off, it was turned off. automatically which I guess was for usability purposes I suppose but um, there's this S near the address bar that you can click to turn scripting off. Um, Yeah, so um, it's fixed, and as soon as, but who knows how many people got impacted by it, and especially people going to, you know, potentially legitimate sites. Right. Um, But it's it's one of those things we, we probably will never Fully know who was behind it, or what the information is being used for, or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but, um, I mean, the arrest of the uh, individual who who was who was responsible for it may overall be a good thing. Um, but the uh, but it seems like they may have may have stepped on some toes of of legitimate places in order to go after the the, right, the illegitimate and that might have
1: been, um, you know, the fact that this was even discovered, that might have been where, you know, whoever was behind this malware may have overreached because this is what got it out into the wild and, as you said, the security researchers, hackers started to look at it and see what was happening. Had they kept it on more of a low-key scale, it's likely this wouldn't have even been noticed, you know, depending on what sites they targeted, but they targeted enough, you know, that legitimate appearing sites that people visited those and were able to discover. You know, I think it was embedded within like an iframe using the JavaScript. So um, now, really, that difficult to find if you're if you're looking for it. So once people became aware of it, they were able to discover it, it was there. And had they not targeted every single site, you know, under um, was it Freedom Hosting? That's the name, right?
0: Yeah. Um, if it hadn't been
1: every single site uh, being hosted under that, it may have not been discovered. It still may have. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the I think the likelihood would have gone down greatly. And I right. could have I mean, it was implied in this article that you know, the government's been doing these things, bef- you know, I've done these things before, you know, um, but they've never really been able to get their hands on on the code that executed. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they were, and I think it's because they targeted so, so many different sites. That right. It, you know, it's able to get out there. So essentially, you know, like you said, um, Firefox's, um, well, Tor browser bundle released an update. Um, Firefox is also releasing updates. So essentially, this functionality has been cut off unless there's. Additional functionality uh, that's unknown in, in the current browsers, which there always could be, uh, the capability of whatever organization was grabbing this information has been cut off to a certain degree. Right. Folks that are using Tor, uh, depending on the type of user, are probably running, you know, are probably really good at computers and running versions that are on top of this type of thing. Yeah, so yeah. you probably have already updated and prevented themselves from uh, from this type of malware. Right.
0: All right, and that's that one. So now Mike has the next article. Okay, thank you, Preston. Um, Twitter just released uh, what they're dubbing version 2.0 of their two-factor
1: authentication. Um, I think this just rolled out yesterday. And um, in this version of it, they have gone away from the SMS codes um, that they initially started with, which I think we talked about in a previous podcast. And they've gone, I think, to a much more secure version of it. in this version, um, when you enroll into this, your phone creates a 2048 bit RSA key pair where the private key is stored on your device and the public key is sent to Twitter. So, wh- what is nice about this design is the secret, the private key, never leaves your mobile device. Now, the other thing uh, that they did is they also provided a backup code. And I think they uh, Actually, came up with a very innovative way of doing this. Um, they came up with a way of where you start off with the seed that is hashed um, 10,000 times, and that is what is stored, it gets stored by Twitter. And then the backup code you receive is the seed hashed 9,999 times. Um, and that's a code you can write down and store in a safe place so that if you lose your device or don't have it available, you can log into Twitter. And when you do, uh, use that backup code, Twitter will then hash it one additional time and it will check and see if it matches what's stored in its system. And if it does, then it'll allow you to log in. Um, So, and and then what it does is, I I believe the next time you generate, then you would generate a new code, which would be it hash 9,998 times and the one that gets stored with Twitter would be the one you sent previously, which was hashed 9,999 times. So effectively, you get nearly 10,000 backup codes. Though I don't think um, you would ever realistically use that many. Uh, but it, the, the the neat thing about the solution they came up with is that um, nothing. The secret's never stored with Twitter. The, the secret's stored with your device. So the the private key stays on your device. Um, I actually logged in. And I had signed up for their two-factor initially, the SMS-based version. And today I signed in and um, changed my account to use this new version, which I had to go and get the, up- the update on my iPhone and apply it. And then what I was able to do was go in and tell on, on my mobile device and say, "I want to use um, the two-factor authentication," and it gave me gave me the code, which I wrote down, and then. From my computer, I logged in, and it came up after I logged in. It says, you know, uh, waiting on your device essentially um, for for you to complete login. And when I went to my phone and looked at it using the Twitter app, it said I had a login request, and it had my location, which was slightly off, probably because it's using my IP address as my location. But it said, you know, um, you know, attempted login from. from this location in Indiana using Windows machine, using Firefox, you know, 26 or something like that, you know, do you approve this request? And I had a checkbox and an X. And if I click the checkbox, and I was in. But, you know, clearly, you know, if I got a request from someone in Florida and I'm sitting here in Indiana, I could say, no, do not allow that request to go through. Uh, so that's pretty cool, too. So I, I think. Um, I think this is a really good step forward from what they previously released on, on two-factor authentication. And the other thing, um, one of the articles mentioned, you know, in light of NSA, I mean, we kind of talked about this has been going on for several weeks now. We've talked about it since uh, you know Edward Snowden revealed you know um, the spy programs that were taking place. Is that um, nothing gets stored at Twitter? That is private. It's only the public key that gets stored with Twitter. So there's nothing. If, if if NSA approaches Twitter and says we want access to that code, there's really nothing they can provide. It has to be the private key that is stored within your mobile
0: device, which is never sent uh, to Twitter. Right. Well, this has a this is another thing. I mean, we talked about with the SMS thing. There is no way for like. I think it was the Washington Post thing there's their uh, their uh, their Twitter feed got hacked. There was no real way for them to use it with the SMS messages messaging system uh, easily. With with this, there there's a little bit more opportunity to do it because you can you could share an account and one person would essentially be responsible for allowing. The account in. Oh, I mean, so yeah. if, you know, if you have a like, if you're a newspaper and you have a correspondent somewhere, you know, you could have somebody in charge of. They they get this alert saying, you know, verify this, you know. Yeah. And and you could you could verify it. So so I think it's a lot more usable uh, in that in that sense as well. Still I think still think it's only tied to one device. So there's only one device that can that can do this. Um, Authorization uh, to to log in, but I haven't tested that. Yeah, I haven't tested that feature either. I'm I'm curious. So, and, and the backup codes allows um, you know somebody to call in and say, hey, I need into Twitter, and you can instead of doing the doing that, you can give them the backup code um, and then generate a new one. So. So I I think it's a little bit more flexible than what their previous system was, as far as that goes, and and a bit more usable. But the thing I like about it, as you mentioned, is that um, they designed it in a way so that they do not have any any of your secret information, so they essentially separated themselves from having your your secret. I, I believe with, with Google, with the Google authentication, they have a secret and you have the same secret and basically when you generate a code they can generate the same code because you both have the same secret so you know you're kind of in a way trusting them to right. keep your secret safe right from the NSA or the FBI or whatever you know and where with Twitter there's no you know they don't have it so there's nothing so even with yeah. the, even with legal documents sent to them, they can say, "Well, we don't we don't have the secret. Yeah. It's on it's on their own device or or whatever." And that's true with both the uh, the, the the mobile system and with the backup codes, since the backup codes are using a hashing. There's no way they can reverse that hash and get the get your secret code. I mean, you could brute force it, right? But, right. But I mean, that's that's about it. So, so I think that was a, an interesting direction that they went, and, and I think it's a it's a it's a good one. I mean, especially with everything that's been going on, them saying, well, we're not going to keep your secrets. Um, I think I think that's a that's a good and interesting way to go. I I, I like it, and uh, I would like to see how well it works. Yeah, I
1: I think it's much better than version 1.0 of their two-factor authentication, which was a step forward for them, but I feel like this is a a bigger step forward. I I did want to verify, because I was curious. I didn't see anything that said whether or not you can install this on multiple devices. So while you were talking I I tried to install it on on my iPad here. And basically you can't. You can't have it active on two devices. It says it is enabled on another device for this account. To enable it on this device, I must first disable it from the other device. And if I
0: can't access that other device, contact support. Right. Well, and and unlike with the uh, unlike with Google Authenticator, which which technically you can use on multiple devices if you set it up at the beginning, this one there seems to be absolutely well. I won't say no way. There seems to be it seems to be more difficult to use on multiple devices at the same time because the way it works is when you first enable it, it generates that private public key yeah. and sends the public key on to Twitter. So you know, you're generating a key when you enable it on your on your device for Twitter. So
1: yeah, I mean, I could see I could see some ways they could do that. Uh, it might get really complicated yeah. because. Um, you know ideally I think instead of this device sharing with my phone you know I think we would want separate private keys for each device but then I think in order to do that maybe if I try to go through this step here it'd be like oh well you need to go back to your main device maybe have one tag as the main device maybe my phone is the main device and click and
0: say that is okay Um, right well I, I think Google even is that I mean they're not you're not Technically, it's not technically designed to be used on more than one device right. either. But if you have both devices with you when you do, when you have the, the code, the right, code that is on the screen. You can you can scan yeah. it in both devices, or enter it in both devices, or you can even write it down and enter it into the devices yeah. later, um, which allows yeah. you to use it on multiple devices at the same time. Which is nice, but it does but does then it reduces it security it a little the bit. Security, then you have it on two devices or three devices or however, and if you write it down, then you know I'm somebody sees devices. it, then you know they put it on their own device too. So, yeah. so um, I, I don't know. I didn't see any way to like regenerate a private key or anything like that. You know, but I guess you could enable it. And uh, I don't know what happens if you lose your phone, for example, and you and you you're like, oh no, and you want to set it up on your on a new device. Well,
1: I, I've been thinking about that. I didn't test these scenarios, but I think what would happen is when you log in with that backup code, you know, you get into your full Twitter account on your computer and I think, you know, I don't know if they have instructions on this, but I would assume that you could go and say, okay, I want to turn off this two-factor authentication. Right. And then from the new device click, I want to enable two-factor authentication. And then you would set up a new code. But the other thing I was curious about along those same lines is Let's just say I forgot my phone, and I really need to get into Twitter to post an important link to this episode. You know, <laughs> so I I use my backup code. What I, What's unclear to me is then the next time I go to my device, um, does it generate? Do I need to then generate a new backup code? Is that backup code one time only?
0: The,
1: the way you talked about how it counted down from 10,000, I was under the impression that you can only use it one. You know, it's a one-time backup code. But does my device automatically then update and it prompts me the next time I use my device? Write down this code now because this is your now this is your backup. Code. I guess you'll have to test that out. I'll have to test
0: that out. Right, um, <laughs> I I don't know. I, th- I think uh, there, there are, I think there there I think they may have some issues with it. I mean what what the, the I think a real question that, that is in in that security question is what happens if I lose my device and I don't have a backup code. Well, you're calling support, right? We're, we're back we're, to calling support. And what, and what level of, of security do they have there? What do I have right. to provide them? Twi- the problem is Twitter doesn't doesn't really gather much information about you at all. They have they have they don't even have your name necessarily. But they do have your email address. They have your email address, and that's yeah, about that's, that's, that's about it. That's about all the information Twitter gathers about you is your email address. Oh, I
1: still think I still think this is a way to go. I'm still in favor of this kind of model. When so, something like that happens, if, if you have to do it via email, make it click this link. This link will be available 24 hours from now, and give anyone else that maybe can access that email account the ability to say, wait, 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 somebody's trying to do something, and they essentially lock you out for a day. I mean, if you lose your device or it gets stolen, and you lose your backup code, I think it's you know it's a small it's a small fine to pay. for for, for that happening because really everything went wrong in that scenario and you should, I I think we're too much an instant gratification society where I shouldn't have to wait at all. By giving like a 24 hour window, I'm thinking back to the Matt Honan attack through Wired. You know, if there had been a 24 hour window, Matt probably would have started to see things or knew things were wrong before somebody could have completely just owned his information.
0: Well, and that's really the question that is for a lot of two factor authentication things and, and I think a lot of vulnerability comes with okay, I lost my phone, I don't have a backup code, what do I do? Yeah. You know? And then I think that could that could be an issue, especially with Twitter, who doesn't who doesn't keep really any information on its users. And that's by design. Right. That's, that's essentially how they're they're their model is to not collect information and I think their two factor authentication system where they don't even have your secret it right. is 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 speaks to that. So well, we'll see what happens. Yeah,
1: I think though I I applaud the effort. I think folks should should update their Twitter apps if they haven't already. Um, and just Take care of that backup code. <laughs> and maybe some of
0: this stuff that we're talking about is, is in the works and talked about. Sure. And then there might even be documentation on their site about it. We I just haven't looked. It came out I, yesterday.
1: I I haven't so. looked either. I'll admit. But I do know when we talked about it before, we thought SMS was a an interesting approach. We weren't. I don't think we were necessarily all in favor of it. We thought, you know, it could have been t- done differently. And I'm impressed by what they've done here. So who knows what's coming? Yeah, I, I
0: applaud them for kind of innovating, doing some yeah. innovation on the two-factor. So anyway, um, with that, uh, I can wrap it up. He uh, should be back next week. Um, I'm not sure we're going to talk about. Uh, we might talk about the black hat and Death con vulnerabilities that were that were come out, we might have a special episode on that, which is possible we could go over our 20 to 30 minutes that we normally do, um, because there's a lot to talk about, uh, but we'll see. Yeah we, we could time and <laughs> yeah, we could have Keith
1: just give us a, he could probably talk for a lot about the training he's through, yeah, he's probably yeah. sick of it. This
0: it's point also point. possible we might <laughs> split that up in two different podcasts, but we'll see, we'll see how much we got and how much we, we can talk about. But anyway, uh, thank, thank you, Mike Hill. I'm Preston Wiley. Have a safe and secure day.